Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers, where we provide you with up-to-date information on cancer care and research. Our host, Dr. Anise Chagpar, is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. She interviews some of the nation's leading oncologists and cancer specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. If you are interested in past editions of Yale Cancer Center Answers, all of the shows are posted on the Yale Cancer Center website at YaleCancerCenter.org. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can contact the doctors directly. The address is canceranswers at yale.edu. Here's Dr. Chagpar. Welcome to another episode of Yale Cancer Center Answers. I'm Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined today by my guest, Dr. Michael Alperovich. Dr. Alperovich is an assistant professor of plastic surgery, and he's here with me today to talk about reconstructive techniques in breast cancer, as this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mike. Thank you for having me. So, Mike, let's talk a little bit about breast cancer surgery in general to begin with. I mean, when I see patients who have breast cancer, I generally give them the options of lumpectomy and mastectomy. And under the mastectomy category, people can either have immediate reconstruction or not. So that immediate reconstruction is really where you come into play. Is that right? Sure. Uh, Like you said, you know, the patients have a choice whether they even want reconstruction at all. Uh, Since federal uh, legislation is mandated in the late 1990s, all patients are required to be offered and provided with reconstruction if they choose to have it. And for me, in terms of immediate reconstruction, the idea is that as soon as they have the mastectomy, we are in the operating room under the same uh, operation, and we help start the reconstructive process to get the patient back to uh, a place where they're happy with how they look. So let's talk a little bit about the options that people have in terms of that immediate reconstruction. And I think just to kind of set the stage for everybody, when we talk about immediate reconstruction, you and I are often in the operating room together, and really the surgical technique in terms of how we remove the breast is even a little bit different because we tend to leave the skin. Um, and just take out the nipple areolar complex, doing what we call a skin-sparing mastectomy. How does that affect your job as the reconstructive surgeon? Is that helpful uh, in the sense that you have that skin envelope? Sure. Uh, So certainly depending on what we decide, whether the patient wants to go with an uh, implant or they want to have their own tissue, which uh, using all we call an autologous reconstruction, where we take part of their tissue from their body, and make a breast, having that extra skin gives us a little bit more play in providing a more aesthetic result. Uh, We can expand the skin. We can borrow skin either from the belly or the thighs or the back to reconstruct that area, Uh, or we can expand the skin with this implant. I can talk about that a little bit later. But the more skin you have that's the patient's own breast skin, the more natural appearing the result will be. So so really, we're providing this envelope, and we're taking out the breast and the cancer that's in it, And you're really reconstructing that. Now, you started to talk about different kinds of options. So let's go there. What are the different options? There's the implant, and then there's this whole other big category called autologous. How do you help patients decide which is right for them? So I, I think you, you, it's, you're, you hit it on the nose in that sense that it's the patient's decision about what's right for them, and they have to really figure that out 
after our discussion. I think what's unique about Yale is that we really do offer all of the options to the patients. So it's not that they have to pick one because that's all that's available. Whatever is out there in terms of cutting edge reconstruction is provided here at Yale. Uh, the two main categories are implant reconstruction and uh, using your own tissue or this autologous reconstruction. Implant involves placing uh, saline or silicone implant uh, inside the, uh, the old breast footprint that's uh, left over after uh, the mastectomy. And the idea is that uh, it's very similar to the implants that someone would have with an augmentation, but they're uh, larger and slightly higher uh, projection than what you would have because there's absolutely no breast tissue left. And that's certainly what I would say is 80% of the reconstructions done nationally. Uh, in terms of if you parse it down even further, you can uh, sometimes put an implant and just be done with one stage. I just published a paper in the Plastic Reconstructive Surgery a Journal called Breast in a Day, and it's doing nipple sparing mastectomy and immediate uh, implants. And for these patients, about 70% of them are done with one single stage, all done in the same operation. Uh, other patients where you have to take the nipple areolar complex or they need skin expanded, uh, we place something called a tissue expander. And it's basically a balloon. It's like an implant, but it's empty. And you come every week, and we essentially fill it up with water and stretch out the skin to recruit the extra skin that's removed in the mastectomy. And that's really option one. That's probably if you go around the country to most places, almost everyone will offer that. What we offer here is uh, tologous tissue, where we actually transfer tissue from a part of your body where you have excess fat. And most women are happy to say, well, can you take my belly fat or can you take my thigh fat? And we can actually create a breast, cone a breast using your own tissue. Uh, the reason it's not offered a lot of places is because it involves microsurgery. We take, uh, we take basically the vessels that supply that fat and we find vessels in your chest that match it to size. And these are two or three millimeter vessels at most. We use a microscope and suture the artery to the artery and the vein to the vein. Uh, the suture we use is one one hundredth the size of a single strand of hair. And uh, we can basically take a piece of tissue from another part of your body and make it living to make a breast. Uh, and this is a great option for patients who really want to have their own tissue, a more natural result. It's a longer operation. It does create an extra scar on the body. But uh, generally, these patients feel like it's their own tissue. If they gain weight, their breast gets bigger. If they lose weight, their breast gets smaller. It feels like a breast. It looks like a breast. And uh, a lot of patients really do, at least uh, anecdotally and even in the literature, seem to prefer that to an implant. So are there contraindications to one or the other? So, for example, if you have had a previous belly scar or a cesarean section, um, are you more able or less able to have one or the other? Or what if you, um, you're too skinny? Uh, are these things that play in? Are there, like, are there other factors aside from simply patient choice? Because I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of patients out there who will say, yeah, if I can have a tummy tuck and have my breast reconstructed, better. So, I, you know, there, there are definitely patients that make it easier or harder to do it. So if you do have scars, whether it's a C-section scar, I've, it almost never is an issue. Um, we can almost always operate on a patient with a C-section scar. Even a midline scar, let's say they have a scar kind of going up and down their belly near the belly button, that's usually okay too. If they have an appendix scar or gallbladder scar, it's still usually doable. Um, what I do for all these patients is I get a CAT scan before surgery, and I look at the blood vessels that supply that 
fat in their belly. And I use that as basically a roadmap. Not only does it tell me where the blood vessels are, but it also tells me, is this technically feasible? Uh, so that usually, I, I don't exclude anyone based on scars alone. I'll always get a CAT scan just to see for myself. Uh, in terms of patients who, let's say, have a paucity of tissue, some women don't have a lot of fat in their belly, we can do something called a stack deep. And basically what that means is I use both sides of their belly to reconstruct one breast. Uh, and that's a way to get around patients who don't have a lot of belly fat. And then women who don't have, who carry their weight, let's say, on their hips or their backside, and we can use other flaps, less commonly used, but things like called the pap flap or the SCAP flap. And this is using your upper back tissue or your lower thigh tissue uh, to really get that, that, that same result, but in a sort of a, a more uh, giving area of the body for that patient. What about other factors? What about smokers or diabetics or people who are obese? I mean, are any of those factors that play in? So what I'll say is that if you're obese, if you smoke, if you are diabetic, you have a higher risk of complications from both the mastectomy and any other surgery. Personally, I would rather have a flap of your own tissue that if the skin on, around your breast dies you, or gets, you know, doesn't survive the surgery and some of it needs to get debrided or cleaned up, I'd prefer to have your natural tissue underneath rather than, let's say, having an implant. Because once the implant is exposed to the world, it's considered contaminated, we have to take it out. Um, there's been a lot of data on whether smoking or diabetes or obesity impact the actual microsurgery, sewing those vessels together, and it doesn't. It actually doesn't increase the risk. The thing that it does increase is the risk of having healing complications in your breast, having healing complications on your belly or wherever you take the fat from, and also having a higher risk of infection and fat, some of that fat not taking. But overall, for from I, I, don't, I don't exclude patients based on uh, their weight or waste based on their smoking. Um, I will refine how I do it. I'll maybe uh, just maybe be a little more conservative in my incision, be, have a little less tension on the closure, but I'll, I, those patients can still have an, a flap reconstruction. No tall smokers, this does not mean that you can keep smoking. You should still try to quit smoking. The, the one thing I'll say is, you know, it's hard to, to, to lose a lot of weight before surgery, to change your diabetes and get that under control. But smoking is the one thing that you can absolutely, if you can change that right before surgery, if you stop smoking for four weeks prior to surgery, your risk of complications is identical to someone who never smoked. So it's one of these things that can drastically affect your recovery and how quickly you get back in your life. And if you can stop in any way, and I know it's asking a lot, but if you can stop smoking, it's the number one thing you can do to give yourself a good result. So, Mike, let's talk a little bit about radiation, because a lot of people have heard about radiation, and they think that if they need radiation afterwards, they can't get reconstruction. Or if they have radiation, then they can never get reconstruction again. Is that true? Absolutely not. Uh, so radiation has changed, and radiation is different across institutions. It's also evolved over the past several decades. If you have radiation, there can be changes to your skin, and it can create tight skin over your breast. So for that reason, an implant may not be necessarily the best option. Uh, statistically, about 30% of patients who have radiation therapy after an implant will fail reconstruction, and that's uh, something patients should be aware of. So if it's possible and they're amenable to it, using an autologous option, using their own fat or their back muscle or their belly or their thighs, that's preferable for these patients. And radiation therapy certainly does a number on the skin, but flap reconstruction uh, can either 
follow radiation therapy. It can precede radiation therapy. Uh, and uh, it's, these patients can absolutely still be reconstructed. Our, again, like I said, our tools change. We may need to recruit extra healthy skin from the back or the belly or the thigh, but these patients can still look whole again, and it just makes it a little harder for us, but it's doable. And what about, you know, sometimes patients, so we've, we've talked a lot so far about kind of the skin-sparing mastectomy, and, and one of the things you mentioned was a nipple-sparing mastectomy where we can keep the nipple uh, with that skin flap. Now, I will tell you as a cancer doc, uh, not everybody is eligible for that. When we can do it in the appropriate patients, it looks beautiful. Uh, but in the not appropriate patients, it really is something that we try to avoid. But if people are having a skin-sparing mastectomy and, you're, and we take the nipple areolar complex because all of the ducts of the breast go to the nipple and most cancers come from the ducts and when you're a cancer surgeon, you want to get rid of the cancer. But how do you reconstruct the nipple? Is that something that happens at the same time? Does it happen later? Is it a big surgery, a small surgery, an office procedure? Tell us about nipple reconstruction. So the goal is that whatever the first surgery is, the cancer surgery and the immediate reconstruction, that is the biggest operation. And then everything else that follows it with what I do is less and less acute, meaning shorter hospital stay, you go home the same day, less pain. Nipple reconstruction is actually uh, fairly painless to the point that I often won't even put patients to sleep. I'll just have them awake for the surgery. I'll ask them what music they like to listen to, and we'll play that on my on my sound system. Because once they get the mastectomy done, or if they get a flap done, that skin has no feeling or sensation. So these patients can tolerate a nipple reconstruction. The idea is basically taking your 2D either breast skin or flap skin and raising it, uh, raising limbs, and basically creating a 3D projection from a 2D surface. Uh, and I use that to make the nipple. And then in terms of the areola, there's uh, multiple ways to do it. Uh, often patients will just get a tattoo, uh, and there's actually a lot of, in the news of uh, fairly well-known tattoo artists that will actually do areolar tattooing and have made a sort of a side business from just uh, treating these patients. Uh, and then the other option is to take a, a skin graft from a part of the body where you have slightly darker skin, like your inner thigh, and creating an areola from that actually, uh, that actual skin donor. Yeah, and so I think uh, the other point which you made, which was about the skin being insensate, I think that's another thing for patients to keep in mind when they have a nipple-sparing mastectomy is that that nipple doesn't work. Huh? It, it doesn't feel, it, it doesn't respond to cold or sexual stimulus. It's simply your own nipple, which looks very good. But I'll tell you that having seen what plastic surgeons can do with making nipples, uh, they really are, are very good. But let's talk now about kind of delayed reconstruction. So patients may have had to have a mastectomy and be flat. And either that's because they couldn't have reconstruction at, at the same time because of the tumor biology or because of where they were. Does that mean that all doors are sealed to them? Does that mean that they can never have reconstruction in the future? Absolutely not. You, you are eligible for reconstruction uh, at any point in your life as long as you can uh, 
undergo and you're safe to have the surgery from a general health perspective. Uh, there's even data that patients who have advanced cancer, what we call stage four cancer, often benefit psychologically from having breast reconstruction. And that's done by many people around the country. I think if, you're, if it's something you're interested in doing, it may take a little longer. There may be some scarring that we have to break up in order to restore that breast profile, that footprint. Uh, it's a lot easier, obviously, immediately. But it's something that can still be done. Uh, if, you're, if you haven't had radiation therapy, we can often place that same expander, that basically empty implant, and fill you up and stretch out the skin and still do an implant reconstruction. Or if you have radiation therapy or there's significant scarring, then we can still do a flap reconstruction and just borrow skin from another part of your body that's healthy, not contracted, and can sort of uh, restore that breast shape that you expect to have. So... So there's a lot of options kind of in that post-mastectomy situation for reconstruction, whether it's after a conventional mastectomy where you're flat or with a skin-sparing or nipple-sparing mastectomy where the plastic surgeon and the oncologic surgeon work at the same time. But there's another concept that really plays in into breast-conserving surgery, and this is the whole concept of oncoplastics, where the oncologic surgeon and the plastic surgeon work together to remove the cancer and create a better breast cosmetic outcome. Um, And we frequently do this um, in people who need reductions. Can you talk a little bit about what this oncoplastic thing is, who's eligible for it, how exactly it works, um, and what happens? So I think uh, as as time has evolved, and if you think about you go back to 100 years to what uh, Sir William Halstead did with his radical mastectomies, then we transitioned to, uh, you know, just uh, modified radical mastectomies, uh, lumpectomies, breast conservation therapy. We've we really had incredible advances in obviously the oncologic side of things. And I think since then also the reconstructive and aesthetic side has come into play. And patients are really asking for uh, uh, as, as good an a- aesthetic result as possible because they're often now getting, you know, the, the, the treatments are so good that they can actually now focus a little bit more on the aesthetics of it as well. And the idea is that once you do a lumpectomy and you take out a piece of tissue, um, if you just close the skin overlying it, you often have a contour regularity. Uh, you can have um, uh, sort of a sort of an un- unsightly scar over that area. And what we do is we work with you and we essentially perform a reduction or a lift to try to fill in that area with your breast tissue. So I would do a breast reduction just like I would do for any other patient who didn't have cancer, except instead of removing the tissue for the breast reduction, um, you just remove it as part of the cancer. And then on the other side that's unaffected, I'll often do a symmetrizing lift just to get an aesthetic match in terms of nipple position and breast size. It's something that can be done in most cases. Uh, There are techniques that depend on where in the breast the cancer is located. The one sort of difficult area that's almost diffi- almost impossible to navigate would be if it's right below the nipple and areolar complex. In that, in that sense, when we do a breast reduction, our principal goal is providing a pedicle, which is uh, an attached blood supply of breast tissue to swing the nipple and areolar complex into a different position, but keep it supplied at all times. If the area underneath the nipple and areolar complex is uh, removed as part of the cancer, then the only thing supplying that nipple and areolar complex at that point is the skin attachments over overlying it. And so if I cut the skin attachments and there's no attachments from below and there's no attachments from the sides, then I really can't perform a reduction in those cases. 
However, this, the, the one option I still have at that at my disposable is called a uh, local tissue re rearrangement where I can take the underlying breast tissue and fill in the hole by rotating some tissue into that position. But often I won't be able to move the nipple areolar complex at the same time. So, so a great option uh, in terms of oncoplastics for people who have large breasts because in that circumstance, you know, a lot of patients come to see me and they say, well, I've always wanted to have a reduction. And you should really talk to your breast cancer surgeon about that because very frequently your breast cancer surgeon can say, really, you've always wanted to have a reduction. We can do that as part of your oncologic surgery all at the same time. So, Mike, is the contralateral symmetry procedure covered by insurance? Everything related to the breast cancer diagnosis is covered by insurance. That includes the initial reconstruction. That includes symmetrizing procedures on the other side or includes any revisionary surgeries. There's no lifetime limit on the number of surgeries you can have. There's no expiration date from your diagnosis of cancer. For the rest of your life, anything related to the breast cancer is covered. And that's one of the things I try to tell patients. Uh, this is something, for me, this is the best part of being a plastic surgeon in breast reconstruction. This oftentimes, in a, in a very sort of difficult, trying time in their life, this is the one positive thing that patients can look forward to. They can have more youthful-looking breasts. They can get, uh, they can be bigger than they were before surgery. And the chance to be able to give patients something that they're excited about and what's otherwise with surgery and chemotherapy and radiation, a very trying time, is for me a special privilege. Yeah. And, and so that's really an important thing because sometimes you'll have a lumpectomy and you'll look great after your lumpectomy and then you'll have radiation and the scar will start to pull in. But oftentimes you can, you can fix that too, right? Absolutely. So you can uh, fill it in with uh, fat. And we actually just published a couple of years ago in the Annals of Plastic Surgery using adipose tissue, which is fat tissue. And looking at what the risks are in terms of injecting fat into previous breast cancer sites. And so far, the data is, it's not long-term data, but it seems to be safe on the whole, which is why we continue to do it. But we can take belly fat or wherever you don't like fat, essentially doing liposuction. This is also covered by insurance. And we inject in small quantities uh, the area of your breast that's deficient in volume. I can also release scar uh, and do scar contracture uh, rearrangements in order to help soften that area with time. And actually, the fat itself um, has adipose stem cells, which is basically stem cells that live in the fat. And these stem cells are rejuvenating to the skin. So particularly for radiated tissue, if you had radiation therapy and you inject fat, there's great evidence that it'll actually soften the scars up in addition to augmenting the volume. So lots of options for patients having breast cancer who want not to look deformed, who, who want to face this diagnosis and at the same time have a great cosmetic outcome. So what's on the horizon, last question, Mike, in terms of new advances in breast reconstructive surgery? So I, there are a few things. From uh, an aesthetic perspective, you mentioned nipple sparing mastectomy. We're getting further and further out where we're now getting five-year or 10-year follow-up data where we can actually start to show that it is safe oncologically with the right indications. And of course, this is absolutely at the discretion of the breast surgeon. It has to be safe first and foremost. We don't want to compromise the oncologic portion for a reconstructive outcome. Uh, but we are getting longer and longer-term data that now we can start doing these uh, breast-in-a-day operations where we can actually start using nipple-sparing mastectomy more frequently and expanding the indications. From a reconstructive standpoint, uh, we 
are uh, constantly evolving new flaps that we use. So initially, there was really one option, which was taking all of your belly muscle and swinging your belly fat and muscle into the breast. Now we're actually able to detach the blood vessels and attach them to your chest. And now almost all my flaps, I don't take a single strand of muscle, I don't take a single strand of fascia, and I just take the blood vessels with the fat, which has been much less morbid for the patients. And from then, we're actually now finding more and more options where we can take fat from, let's say, the, the side of your thigh or the, your upper, uh, right below your butt crease, which is called the profunda artery uh, perforator flap, or we can take it from your upper, uh, upper butt area, basically your lower back. So constantly evolving new flap options so that we can really offer this option to almost everyone. It may be a less commonly used flap, but they still have that option available. And then I think finally, just from a, uh, an implant perspective, uh, we're, we're constantly swinging back and forth. 30 years ago, everyone got an implant placed at the time of mastectomy, and there was a revolution in the 80s. We started putting in these empty implants and filling them with water to stretch out the skin. Now that we're doing more and more nipple-sparing mastectomies, we're doing more immediate implants at the time of uh, re uh, mastectomy, which has shortened the recovery course for the patients uh, and also sort of improved their their time, you know, their, shortened their convalescence period. And I think if you if you look at some of the you know the results that we're having, I think we are as surgeons are much more uh, attuned to what women are thinking. And and what I mean by that is, uh, it's not okay to just look at a photo and say this is a good result or this is not a good result. And I really have to credit Dr. Andrea Pusick at Memorial Sloan Kettering for designing the breast cue. And it's basically a questionnaire for women, and it asks questions that are important to women: Are you comfortable in clothes? Are you comfortable naked? Has your sexual intimacy changed? Has your self-esteem changed? And we're actually using this data to better gear our reconstructions so we can do things for patients and say, well, it's not enough to say that 10 plastic surgeons thought this was a good result. We actually need the patients to feel like they have a better result. And by studying these patients in aggregate and looking at thousands of patients, I think we're more addressing, more, better addressing what the issues are for these patients. And I think just being uh, more thoughtful to what the patient's need, uh, needs are has been a big advance in our specialty. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. So lots of exciting things happening in breast reconstructive surgery. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today on Yale Cancer Center Answers. This was a wonderful discussion on reconstructive techniques in breast cancer in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This is Anise Chagpar wishing everyone a healthy and happy tomorrow. This has been another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers. We hope that you have learned something new and meaningful. If you have questions, go to YaleCancerCenter.org for more information about cancer and the resources available to you. We hope that you will join us again for another discussion on the progress being made here and around the world in the fight against cancer.